You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast edition. You know where to find us. MWR.com. Facebook, Twitter, all the fun stuff where we post whatever we want. We get in arguments on Twitter because we can. Jeremy Moss, Matt Kennerly. We're sort of, this is sort of a different show this time around. A little more of a mishmash now that the uh, the regular season conference championship have come and gone. <sighs> and and there's still you know a little bit of time to kill before we start diving deep into the different bowl matchups. So Yeah, we're here for you, right? This is like podcast tapas, if you want to think about it. Exactly, but we'll probably still go like 50 minutes somehow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course of we course. do. So, like we said, we want to do, like we started last year, we're going every week. But this week, we're like, okay, we had to recap. We had some good bowl stuff. But now we're going to do kind of, like I said, we'll go bowl tapas. That's the best way to put it. Mini previews for the bowl games. We have some news. We'll have our show tonight. Whenever you listen to, to this, so probably Thursday, I'm assuming, maybe. Kind of a big picture preview, newsy stuff. And then next week bowl week and then we'll have all, all sorts of bowl previews probably break them down like uh, each individual podcast will preview a bowl maybe we'll get some guys on some q a stuff but uh, check for our coverage on that we already have stuff going on so should we st- let's start with the most pressing news maybe not most pressing but the news that's probably probably going to be outdated by the time we publish this do you care or are aware of the home depot awards matt yeah that's appropriate. I think that's that's a yeah. correct response. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be awesome when when Michael Gallup gets you know snubbed again for another Oklahoma State receiver. <laughs> Who are the finalists? Although, <laughs> although, although to be although to be fair, you know, Brandon Cooks did turn out to be a pretty good NFL receiver in his own right. Yeah, he's doing quite well with the Patriots this year and Saints previous previously. Um, I should have this up. Do you even know who the finalists are going up against Michael Gallup? Well, I know James Washington is one of them. I don't know who the other guy is off the top of my head. We'll look head. it up in a minute. But that's going on as we speak. Maybe I'll pull up ESPN here and take a gander what they're up to. But there's the awards tonight. He's out in Orlando hanging out. Um, let's take a quick look. But, yeah, we'll see. I'm not going to watch live. We'll get updates here. Maybe an update will come during the show. Because one update we have right now is that um, Baker Mayfield won the was it Walter Camp Award. Yeah. I'm just saying. I think he won the Davey oh, O'Brien. O'Brien. That's all I really paid attention to. Okay, we do to. have a couple of awards coming in. This is the award. Okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Have you ever heard of the Disney Spirit Award? I have not. That's a thing. It goes to... I get the reason why. It's a pretty cool reason for this uh, winner. It's most inspirational player or team. It goes to Iowa. I don't know if that's announced tonight, but do you know why that's the case? I assume that it has everything to do with their new tradition of waving to the children's hospital that's right next door to Kinnick Stadium. Exactly. I just saw the name. I'm like, what's this about? I'm like, oh, Iowa. So I can't really make too much fun of it, can I? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a silly well, award, not, right? Come on. It's a silly and, and award. Let's not, forget, let's, not, let's not forget, you know, Dominic Eberly, the Utah State kicker, is a finalist for the Lou Groza Award. Yeah, kickers. 
but I really can't wait for him to get snubbed by yet another Utah special teams player. Oh, Matt Guy might win. I think his name's Matt Guy. He might. I swear, the guy, the guys at Utah seem to win the special teams awards every single year. Well, the punter award has gone three straight years. It went to, uh, um, shoot. Oh, I know the guy. I, I've worked with. I worked with one of the guys for a little bit. Shoot, Tom Hackett. He won't. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I never saw him, but we worked in the same building. and worked at the same time for his radio show. So we. I'm like, I know the guy. I see him. I can hear his Australian, New Zealand ac- Australian, me, Australian accent. Punter of the Year, Ray Guy Award. And then also, I don't know who the other guy is, but they won a guy, another foreign guy, won it last year. So, yeah. My, but, my, my, but by the way, shout out to ESPN's Ryan McGee. I'm just looking at this this list of finalists. What's he up to? And uh, so he mentions the Doak Walker Award for best running back. And he has, you know, he has, for each one, you know, he has who it's named for, who the finalists are, who should win it, who will win it. Under who should win it, he says Rashad Penny, San Diego State. But the nation's leading rusher wasn't even invited to Atlanta, so <laughs> never mind. Oh, boy. Did you see? Uh, it's it's a joke. You know, it's also a joke. Well, not a joke, but uh, we'll see if Michael Gallup gets anything. These awards are whatever. We already discussed at Doak Walker how to money grab, essentially, right? How they mm-hmm. donate money to get a table for the award and I like who donates. And let's just keep on the uh, path of that. Like we mentioned, Jalen Davis, Walter Camp, All-American, as was Richard Penny first team, and then wasn't um, who was the second team as well? Um, There's gonna be Penny was the second team. You had um, sorry, Jalen Davis. Sorry, they put in Utah State. they put in Twitter handles, and not everybody's Twitter handles their name like it should be. I think, but no, Michael Gallup was first team. Penny was second team. The Athletic put Penny as the first team. SI first team. Bleach Report first team. You know what's more egregious than Penny not being a first team running back? Is that Saquon Barkley being a first team running back? <laughs> Even more egregious than that. We have the correct name. Oh, by the way, bre- by the way, breaking news. Do, 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 do. He did not win. Dom- Dominic Eberle did not win the Lou Groza Award. Oh. Good job. You're one of the best three kickers in the league, That's, or college football. But what I was going to say is that The Athletic put out their All-American. It's actually a free article, so if you don't subscribe to them, you can go check that out for free today, it looks like. All-purpose back. Who would be the all-purpose player in the country, you would think? I would think it would be Penny. You'd be wrong. What? It would be a Shaquan Bar- Saquon Barkley. Oh, come on, man. Can we get mad at Stu Mandel? I could text Chris Vanini right now and say, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? I mean, I don't know if you I don't know if you got to see the uh, the SB Nation All-American team. Oh, boy. Like, you know, Saquon Barkley, also a first-team running back there. You know, Michael Gallup, Penny, probably should have been, you know, First team was it Van Der first team? Did he make first or second team? I forget. No, I'm, if I remember correctly, Ed Oliver was the only Group of Five athlete to be a first team nomination for de- defense or overall. I mean, it didn't help that the guys who replaced us at the site we used to go to <laughs> didn't even bother to vote. So, you know. I, if you looked at who voted, there weren't many people that voted. There were underdog like, dynasty. Underdog dynasty voted. No, people run. I know, but I mean, I mean, like, in, there's about a hundred websites over there. And there's about, I didn't count the names, a handful are from like the main site, SB Nation, but there's about maybe 30 people that voted overall. Like, come on. Really? Maybe- Mountain, West, Mountain West getting disrespected left and right these days. Well, we're not dis- disrespecting them. We are, what are we calling ourselves now? We're Pete Coverage? What is it? What do we change our name to? <laughs> well, it's not we didn't change our name. <laughs> we changed, we, unofficial change to our slogan, you know, Mountain West Wire. 
the peak of Mountain West athletics coverage. That means we need to retire the my favorite thing ever that me and Chris came up with. Me and Chris Andres came up with. Well, let us know what you think first of all. Yeah. At Jeremy, at Jeremy Moss at Matt K underscore FS or just MWC Wire all in one place. Which means yes. I can no longer end the show. We're biased against your team, even though I, I may may slip up and say that once or twice. Yeah. And it was just a joke, and it's. Well, let's talk about it now since we're getting into it. This is a crazy show. We're doing whatever we want. The thing is, because it doesn't matter what fan base in the conference, almost, and we know it's not everybody, but there always seems to be we're disrespecting somebody, no matter what we do. Doesn't matter. You know what, though? You know what that tells me, though? We're doing a good job. It tells me that people care about their teams, mm-hmm. and that's awesome. That is. Like, the most, the most recent flare-up was... Uh, you know, some of uh, the Nevada oh. basketball fans out there getting after our Eli. basketball guy, Eli, you know, a little bit. That got heated you know, quickly. You know, all, things consider, all things considered, though, like, it's cool that people care that much. And we, yes, and we do know it's not everybody. It's very small because a few Nevada guys came after us. I'm like, ah, like that's not me. I'm like, oh, I understand. But we get it. It's usually, what, the 5% rule or whatever it is. Five, mm-hmm. 5% of ever, anything is a jerk, essentially. <laughs> you can find something like that. Five percent. Nobody corner. Nobody corners the market on jerks. Nobody. It's like a uh, Seinfeld. You got the jerk store called. They want you back mm-hmm. or something. But uh, it's cool. Yeah. And then also, if you subtweet, we find those too. Great. Thank you for that. But yeah, we're, I guess we're changing because we. I don't know. Is it because we're childish? I don't know. We people get mad because they think they take it seriously. Mm. You know who takes college football too seriously? Oregon State representatives who tweet at recruits. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Don't yeah. ever do that, people. I think I think the only people who should be allowed to tweet at college recruits themselves are Nobody? other college athletes who are trying to entice those recruits to join them in their respective programs. Yeah, if you give a retweet, that's fine. If you yeah. if you say like a congrats or something, that's fine. Like, okay, cool, we'll see you on campus or something like that, or see you at the game. But don't get mad at a kid who's, what, 16 to 18, make the choice. It's like, get over yourself, right? Who are you? It's just it's just petty, and this guy, he's, what, 50, probably 45, 50 years old or something? Whatever. Yeah, don't be that guy. Yeah, definitely. And also, he, <laughs> did you read his Twitter bio? I did not. Basically, you know, some people say, oh, my, because he's a, a, what is a representative in Oregon. It's because Willie mm-hmm. Taggart changed head coaching jobs. And we'll, that does redirect and come back around to what we're talking about. But he's like, all tweets are done by me, not by my staff. So can't hide behind saying it's a staff who did it for him. Oh, there you go. <laughs> all right, so let's get to that real quick. Besides doing that, uh, don't tweet ever recruit. Just say congrats or retweet. That's cool. Or that, that's about it. As for Oregon, we'll kind of get to some games right now, I guess. Here, Oregon takes on Boise State in the lovely um, – is there a sponsor for the Vegas Bowl? Is this still the Mako? Or is it Royal Purple? I, I don't know. I believe it is the Royal Purple Las Vegas Bowl. That's the car thing, right? Car paint or something or car shop? I think it, yeah. I think it's oil. Something to do with oil. I have no idea. Whatever. Las- Maybe there isn't a sponsor anymore. Now I'm looking at the website. There's no sponsor attached to it. Oh, uh, does that mean the payout goes down? Yeah. That's not good, is it? So who's paying for it? ESPN, they own the bowl. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, that's uh, that's unfortunate. But with the game, it's going to be an interesting matchup because I, I didn't look this up before because somebody asked us about it, but I'm pretty sure it's happened before at the Mountain West because Willie Taggart taking the Florida State job. Also, Willie Taggart's a big fat liar who says he never talked to Florida State or anything. 
but Willie Tiger is just and, and, a college football head coach. Yeah. So whenever you're that's all that's all. Yeah, he yeah, is. yeah. And t- just a slight bit more of that. If you're a college football coach, say I'm not talking to that school. I'm not talking to them. A, they're either lying, or B, they're telling the truth because their agent's contacting that other school. And that's how you can mm-hmm. deflect to say, no, I have not, I've never spoken with this person or this school or anyone associated with. But hey, instead, oh, my agent talked to me, I'm getting a sweet eight-figure deal. <laughs> but I, as there, there's been no word on who's coaching. Is he still going to hang around? Or I'm assuming he's just up and gone, packed his bag, and yelled, I'm home on the 50-yard line at Doak Walker Stadium. Well, I'm I'm assuming did I didn't they say that Mario Cristobal was going to be the interim coach? I that makes sense because he's the OC, but I have not seen anything on that. I haven't checked a ton today on it, but that'd make the most sense because why would he coach in no offense to Boise State or the Vegas Bowl, but in a bowl that's basically meaningless. They put it this way: thirty six bowls are basically meaningless. So, yeah. and I did I would like I would have loved to see him coach uh, Oregon State and Florida State in their bowl games. <laughs> that would have been fun, right? I don't. I don't know that that would have been fun for anybody. What? For being totally honest, <laughs> whatever. But he's gone. Um, so we don't know. Like about the coaching. Like last time around, which is last year, Brian Harson interviewed. We know that. As of right now, like if you check out Football Scoop, that's a good place to find stuff for free to see who's doing what or who's interviewing where, who's getting interest. All you've seen about names for Oregon, at least last time I checked, I'm going to check right now, is that nobody has been has been interviewed or really contacted, as far as we know. There's just been, hey, here's a wish list, and you'll see, we've seen Jeff Tedford mentioned. We've seen Brian Harson mentioned. We'll see Cristobal mentioned. We'll see Jim McElwain. There's a lot of guys, um, a lot of guys out there who've been mentioned, but that's like, oh, here's my wish list. Nothing officially has been um, mentioned as an interview or contact that we know of, so it's, it's kind of awkward for Oregon if they want if they want Brian Harson, which you would think there'd be some interest. It's kind of weird if you're going to play that team in a week and a half. Yeah, but I mean, weirdness is kind of part of the college football landscape at this point. So it wouldn't surprise me if they end up kind of reaching out to Harson at some point in the next week and a half. Or, you know, what makes it really weird is is something that I've seen mentioned in a few different places is, you know, the timing of, of Taggart's departure and the timing of the Las Vegas Bowl makes it really tricky with the new early signing day. Mm hmm. Which, if I'm not mistaken, is only like four or five days after Las Vegas. Yeah, it's, I believe the 20th through the 22nd or 23rd of December. Yeah, and they're already losing a few commits just because of all the turmoil going on. So whoever ends up stepping into that situation is going to have to move fast for a number of reasons. So, you know, whether it's Harson, whether it's Cristobal for the, for the sake of uh, maintaining some kind of consistency... You know, it's not the greatest position for Oregon to be in, but I mean, I think all things considered, it's probably still a desirable job, wouldn't you think? I would think so. Yeah, it's it's gonna be a good one. And if Harson gets mentioned or offered, who knows what'll happen? But ADs or other schools don't really care. You know what I mean? They go who yeah. they want. What's up? Cool. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'll be done in like twenty minutes. So as for the game itself, um, I don't know. Do you think that? Do you think Oregon players will really care? Because you don't have your coach, you have Cristobal, you're playing... Boise State haven't played in a decade since, what, the Brian Halbergera blunt punch fiasco about a decade ago. They're 7-5, and five. they they beat Oregon State in the Civil War there, so there's a little bit of momentum. I guess with their quarterback, that, if he's fully healthy and good to go, that should, that should be a 
something for them. But do you think they'll really care or matter? Does it matter too much? Just because, not because they're playing in the bowl game or who they're playing or the record they have, but without the head coach, that's kind of got to be a downer. Well, I mean, I think if you pay attention to who the players want as the head coach, you know, they, they throw people have been throwing around all the outside candidates, but it seems like they really want to push for Cristobal. And if that's the case, you know, if he's the interim guy, they're going to try to put their best foot forward against a pretty good Boise State team. And it's not like the talent they have. It's not like, you know, they're devoid of talent. You know, they did stumble, you know, here and there on offense, especially in the middle of the season where they had a three-game losing streak against Washington State, Stanford, UCLA. Well, that's when they had Herbert out. Justin Herbert was out injured. Yeah, and but when he's been healthy, they've been a very dangerous offense. And if you look at his numbers, like he only he's only thrown 170 times on the year. But, you know, he owns basically a 66% completion rate. He's only been sacked six times. And he's averaged almost 10 yards an attempt. And when you combine that with what Royce Freeman has been able to do in his last go-around, you know, he's up right around 1,500 yards, six yards carry. So, you know, if they let Cristobal audition for this job, you know, for all of the reasons on the field as well as all the ones off of it, it's not a team that Boise State, for as good as they are, especially defensively, they're not going to be able to overlook the Ducks. No, because when he's played, they've only lost one game as a two-point loss to Arizona State. And yeah. So when, like, when he plays, there's a reason. I'm looking up to see if the line changed, but there's a reason the line started about 10, and I think it's about so – it's fluctuated between like six – I've seen it as six and a half to about 10 is where I've seen like where it's been going – been flo- sorry, floating around. But it's currently right now – it's back to seven and a half. So there's that's a reason because Herbert's been back for a couple games, and except Royce Freeman, all the players you mentioned, they have a all-conference uh, Pac-12 tight end. On their team as well, who is that guy? Um, you got uh, no Stanford, maybe. Oh, sorry, offensive lineman. They got that's why they have so few sacks. Got that mixed up there, but they their offense is dangerous. Like who when they when they're going to Herbert, it's one of the better ones at Pac twelve. And like who's like who's Boise? Is this probably uh, Washington State the best offense they faced all year for Boise State? That's the best comparison, maybe. I think that's or UVA. UVA is pretty good, but Washington State, I'd say, more is explosive on offense. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. What do you think? Like, what would um, – I know we're going to dive into this more next week. We'll talk to a few people. But, like, what's your initial thought on this game with everything for Oregon and Boise State? What's going for them? I mean, I think ultimately, like, I'll have to dive deeper into the numbers. But I think, you know, you're kind of looking at a matchup that's going to be built around strength versus strength. You know, obviously, the offense is kind of what makes Oregon go, especially through the passing game where, you know, they have – what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like nine different guys who have 10 targets on the year. Nobody on the team has more than 33 catches. Somehow, seven of those eight guys have managed more than 11 yards per catch. So it's not like they're you know not creating big plays. They're still one of the more explosive teams, still rather not explosive, efficient teams in the country. So... You know, they, they know how to move the chains. They know how to finish drives in, you know, against a Boise State defense that's been pretty good against both. It's going to be really interesting to see who comes out ahead there. You know, and also, I think I just, we should, we'll mention more next week. We know more, but Alexander Madison. Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw him at the basketball game the day after he had a scooter, had a, a boot on his leg. If he was out and about, I'm pretty sure he didn't break it because the game was Saturday evening 
and the basketball game was Sunday afternoon. So yeah. I'm pretty sure it's not broken because you'd have maybe probably surgery of some sort if you broke, get screws in or something for the ankle. It's probably with that boots, obviously precautionary, high ankle sprain perhaps, most likely. Boise never says a thing about injuries, but it'll be that's something to watch out because even though while Ryan Wopin came in late to get the game-winning score, like I mentioned in our championship game recap, part of it was because he was fresh and didn't have as many carries. He was able to go through that Fresno defense that was out there all night where he wasn't. So that's one of the big things to look at if he's if Madison's healthy or not, because that, that could be, be – obviously, he's their, what, second-best offensive player, Madison, there behind Cedric Wilson. So it's going to be a big deal if it's like Robert Mahone or a Wopen out there taking that play. So that's probably the biggest thing to look out for. Like, who's going to coach for Oregon if it is crystal ball, assuming it should be? You never know. Maybe he'll go to Florida State and that could change. We're still week week plus away. Mm-hmm. And But that those are two big things. And also, if you care about these things, you got a Reese Davis and Kurt Herbstreit back calling the game. Is that – I guess that brings some legitimacy to the bowl game or a pretty big deal. It's not bad. If you care about that stuff, right? It's good. It's better than having guys who've never, well, I'll refrain from finishing that comment, but these guys have called these games like four years in a row. I know Herb Street's done before, so that's pretty good. It's on ABC, obviously, if you don't know, and it's uh, the first bowl game, so yay. Are you, um, you mentioned you might be going to this game. Is that still in the cards for yourself? Me, oh, I might go to Vegas at some point. It's indeterminate as to whether I'll go for any particular game or not. Okay. Well, I mean, there's just the one game. T- TBD. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so we go to the next. I guess let's kind of go chronological order. The next game we have up here. Um, I have too many tabs open. What's the next game? It's a Saturday game. Is it the New Mexico Bowl? I believe so. The Gildan New Mexico New Mexico Bowl. Marshall Thunder and Herd taking on Colorado State Rams, and we have some issues with the Rams team here a little bit. Not issues, but concerns. We didn't mention our last show because it was all recap stuff for the title game. But you have Marty English, D.C., going to retire. Mm-hmm. Big news, Will Friend, offensive coordinator and offensive line coach, is leaving to take a job at Tennessee. That is more interesting. Because, you know, for all of the ups and downs that the Rams have had this year, one thing that they've always been able to lean on more often than not is a really good offense. You know, we saw what they could do kind of outlasting Nevada, coming up a little bit short against Boise State. But, you know, they've been fairly explosive, fairly efficient just about the entire season. Like, you know, by success rate, they actually rank sixth in the country. And so just at a glance, what I'm wondering is, you know, if friend leaves and, you know, someone else ends up calling the plays. Well, well, well it doesn't matter. Bobo already calls the plays. I made an error on that earlier. Oh, today. he does. Yes. Okay. So then maybe it won't have that big of an effect because it's not like, you know, it's not like they're losing Michael Gallup or Nick Stevens or Dalen Dawkins or anything like that. Mm-hmm. What'll be interesting to me is... You know, if Marty English, this is his last hurrah, you know, is is the defense going to show up? Because, you know, Marshall's been, they're they're a decent Conference USA team. You know, they have a pretty good quarterback in Chase Litton, who I mentioned last time. But they can't run the ball at all, really. You know, they're they're leading two rushers combined for about four and a half yards per carry, which is good, but not great. But... It's you know it's not quite the Marshall teams that we were used to seeing with you know Raheem Cato a couple of years ago. You know they do have some nice guys who can create plays. Entire Brady, Ryan Urechek, they're going to have to probably contend with both of those guys. 
more often than not. But at a, at a glance, this kind of reminds me of the, of the Nevada game where, you know, you have a team, you're going up against a team rather that knows how to throw the ball. You know, they're a little bit inconsistent as far as running the ball. But if the defense can't get a stop, you know, this game could end up being more high scoring than a lot of people realize. All right. Interesting. One quick note, too, on the uh, kind of circle back to coaching thing. While Friend doesn't call the plays, do you know what? Have you heard what uh, position he's taken at, at Tennessee? It's not offensive. I not offensive no, coordinator. I did not know that. What what is it? O line coach. That's interesting. I guess like Rich Kurtzman mentioned to me, he does stuff for the um, I forget where, but follow, he's a good fall on Twitter CSU guy. I'm like, wait, I did, I must not have paid attention that Bobo calls the plays because if you're the OC and don't call the plays, what are you like? Not to say that you're just a spot in the field, but you want to call plays. But he was the O line coach at CSU and the OC. It seems like a step down almost, even if you're calling plays or not. If you're calling plays, it definitely is. But if you're not calling plays, maybe he thinks he never has that chance to call plays as long as Bobo is around, which could make sense. And so I'm trying to, I'm talking myself into it now, but you go be a line coach. You're still not going to call plays. So what's the real difference? I guess maybe he'll go to Tennessee, be an O-line coach. Where do you go from, if you want to be an OC, where do you go from O-line coach at Tennessee? Where's your next step for an OC coach? Because you would think it'd be maybe at a school similar, similarly to Colorado State, or a school that's worse than Tennessee in a big time conference, like say, throwing out there, just like Kansas or Syracuse or Tem- I mean, some, not Temple, but something like that, where Duke, where they're not they're not better than Tennessee. So it's like that's kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure. I mean, but if you know, if he has had an influence on the offensive line. You know, maybe it's worth noting that they will miss him a little oh, bit yeah. because you know, Marshall's been pretty decent, I think, as far as being. What? But I'm not quite done yet. Rush. You know, nobody on their team has more than five and a half sacks. I think uh, the defensive lineman Ryan B is the only. He's the guy that leads the team with those five and a half. Mm. You know, I think nobody else on the team has more than three. But as a as a defensive unit, they ended up finishing. I believe. Uh, let's see. They finished fourth in Conference USA with 27 sacks as a team. So they know how to get after the quarterback a little bit. And if, you know, friend departs for the SEC before, you know, the Rams take the field, maybe that's one of those really subtle things that ends up making an impact in that game. Because, you know, they've been, the Rams have been very good about protecting Nick Stevens all year long. Like his sack rate is under 2%, which is phenomenal. But you never know. And also, like, other offensive line like Jake Bennett, he does a pretty good job. Center, going to be in NFL. Running game is yeah. pretty strong, and so I, I odds of him coaching a bowl game probably not the case. It's probably like I said, it's not going to change too much who's calling what. It just puts a little bit more on Mike Bobo's plate to do more of the offense because you're losing two position coaches essentially. OC or not, you know what I mean? Two offensive coaches in one. So I don't know if it make too much of a difference versus Marshall, but they're they're a solid team. Like yeah, their defensive front's not very good, so maybe the Rams. If here's the thing, if they're not getting to Nick Stevens. It'll be Nick Stevens to uh, Michael Gallup all day long. And that's going to be a concern for them if that's the case. <laughs> you know what I mean? Kind of a familiar story there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, even more so if they can't get a pass rush. All right, so let's end really quick. The line on that game is 5.5 for the Rams, and it's pretty much stayed at that. Ne- that sounds about right. Next game's quite interesting. It's basically a pick It's so I think, one point for Wyoming. Yeah, Central Michigan-Wyoming Friday night game, or excuse me, Friday afternoon game. And all these are on ESPN, by the way, except for, well, I guess two aren't, so I won't say that. Let me go, let me backtrack there for a minute. 
the Chippewas are always a pretty good team. Playing Wyoming, who may or may not start Josh Allen, because it looks like Nick Smith probably going to be the guy, at least right now, because we mentioned the time frame for his injury. But like the worst-kept secret is pretty much out there. Yeah, Josh Allen, he's going to the NFL draft. Craig Bull mentioned like two or three weeks ago, I think it was after the second game he missed, that he's basically gone. WalterFootball.com has a report. They do draft stuff, so they're a pretty good source and things. So, as Matt, I know you don't like their site because they're not tech savvy, apparently. So you're liking it? Well, it's just it's it's very like late nineties ish. Yeah. If, you, if you've been there, you kind of understand what I mean. Like the aesthetic, like Oaks, is very Geo Pages, old, old school. Yeah. Yahoo sites. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. I mean, they got good information. It's just the the aesthetics are not the best. Let's put it that way. No, I get you. I hear. I hear exactly what that is. But he's probably gone. Also, some astute Twitter follower replied to us saying he was at the either introduced or let me get the exact word he did their banquet, and he was part of the senior group. So he's gone, and we don't need to go to his draft draft stock because you, you and I kind of differ on what that is. And Mel Kiper thinks he's a top ten guy. Most mock drafts have him. I've seen a lot of Pittsburgh late first round picks, which could be good for him if he doesn't have to play right away. So there's that, but I don't know if he plays or not because it makes a big difference. Because I, I, does it really though? I'm thinking because Nick Smith didn't look; he looked good one game and terrible another game, and so maybe depend what Nick Smith shows up. But also, he's played what two and a half games, and the bowl practices. Maybe that'll be enough because he had the one game where he did quite well. So maybe that'll be good enough for him if he plays to be the guy and be fine. Nick Smith has had maybe 15 minutes of good football in three weeks. <laughs> Let, like, let's be real. I mean, that one game over. Okay, that one game overall, numbers were good, I should say, but that's about it. I mean, if Josh Allen doesn't play, I really don't see any reason to have any kind of confidence whatsoever in Wyoming's offense. Because, yes, Kellen Overstreet did finally put it together for one game. But we've been kind of waiting for this Wyoming running game to emerge all season long. And guess what? Josh Allen is still, after adjusting for stacks, sacks, rather, the team's best runner. You know, Trey Woods, you know, showed flashes here and there. On a per-play average, though, only 3.6 yards per carry. And, you know, Kellen Overstreet ended up at about 4.5, but he needed that one last big game against San Jose State to really get there. And, I mean, it's not as though Central Michigan isn't a beatable team you know in looking at the numbers the sense that i get is that they're a very all or nothing kind of team because you know like marshall they don't really run the ball especially well you know their leading rusher jonathan ward has about a thousand yards he's at 988 nine touchdowns you know and he averages six yards a carry but he's pretty much the only guy they have in the backfield they can count upon for kind of big plays Mm -hmm. And, you know, while Shane Morris in his, you know, transfer year after being at Michigan was pretty decent, he had a two to one touchdown to interception ratio. But, but he's completely, yeah, it's going there. 55%. That's going right there. But, and so, and so if you look at the difference between how efficient this team has been and how explosive this team has been, they're 121st in efficiency and 12th in explosiveness. Interesting. And so when you really look at the yards per catch of all their kind of main receivers, you know, Mark Chapman, their leading receiver, averages 15 yards a catch. So does Corey Willis. Tyler Conklin, their big tight end, averages 14.5 yards per catch. None of those guys have a catch rate over 60%, but when they get their hands on the ball, oftentimes it's for big chunks. 
So it's going to present an interesting challenge for defense, especially a secondary that's been pretty good all year long. And, you know, obviously, I think it's going to be a fairly even matchup. You know, if you have Logan Wilson, who's always been pretty decent in, in pass coverage, lining up with Conklin, you know, Andrew Wingard and Marcus Epps flying all over the field, you know, is Central Michigan going to be able to hit those home run plays? And if they don't, is Wyoming's offense going to be able to do anything at all? I don't know. One, you mentioned Wingard all over the place. He was pro football focused, 34 stops against the run, most amongst all safeties. Well deserved. So yeah, definitely well deserved. So if they try to run more, he'll be in there. But like I think this, like you mentioned, the prior game, strength versus strength. Like it seems like Central Michigan's strength is throwing the ball. Running is okay. Whereas obviously we know how good Wyoming's defense is and creating turnovers. Because Morris is only behind Logan Woodside in yards per game. However, the interceptions are a little bit concerning. It's thirteen on the year. He throws a ton. He throws about thirty four times per game. And so look for a lot of throws. A little bit of running, and then also, like the other side of the ball, their overall defense Central Michigan is just average within the MAC, and so Wyoming, mm-hmm. that's a plus for Wyoming because you already mentioned running games have been pretty bad all year. Who knows what Nick Smith will do? Hopefully, these next practices and games he's played will get him going, or Allen Allen will be healthy. But I think it's going to be a matchup where it's going to be if Central Michigan's going to win, it's because Shane Morris has a big game, or Wyoming's going to win because they shut him down. That's probably what's going to come well, down to. I don't. I don't expect this offense to do anything special for Wyoming to get them the victory. Well, I think you know one big key for the Wyoming offense is they're going to have to keep Joe Ostman at bay because if the Chippewas do have one guy who can make a difference, you know, senior defensive lineman, eighteen and a half tackles for Ooh. loss, twelve sacks. I'm pretty sure he's all conference for the MAC. There, he better be if not. He's going. He's going. He's going to be a factor one way or another, and Wyoming's going to have to figure out how to scheme for him. How about you just put Austin Fort and a tackle on him, right? Is that good enough? Well, Austin Fort's going to be too busy catching everything for a touchdown. That's true. His, his ratio for touches to touchdowns is pretty good. That's his only role. <laughs> All right, then. Has, has to be a touchdown. Oh, dang. All right, so let's move on to the next game. Okay. We have a, a day off. Oh, not a day off. Sorry, Saturday afternoon, uh, 3.30 Eastern. It's in Texas, so it's Central Time, 2.30, 12.30 out there in the West Coast. Army, San Diego State. No line yet. Which will probably come out because Army plays Navy this weekend for the Commander-in-Chief Award, which Army hasn't won in, what, what did we say, 96? Is that what we found out? 21 years? Uh, that is what you said. Correct. Yes. That's what I said, and that's also correct, not just what I said. They beat Navy last year uh, They after, what, a 10 or 14-game losing streak, somewhere in that range. So here's the thing about the bowl game. I know Aztec fans aren't happy. There's are some talk they might miss the bowl game because they're – not that they're being picky. They're looking for options. I don't think that's the case. I know La Tech missed a bowl game a couple years ago when they were like 9-3 and and nearly beat Texas A&M who had Johnny Menzel when the game got changed due to a hurricane week one. And they, it was like 50-48 to 48 or something. They, they nearly beat the Aggies. But that's kind of different. This is a ranked team. There's no chance. But one interesting note, looking over the and reading the quotes from Rocky Long to press conference, there were updates every day going to Long about 3.30 in the afternoon from the AD. I know they have a new guy, but I'm sorry, I forget his name, but... Here's a bowl option for today. Here's the option for today. Going over every day. Rocky Long said there's eight bowls that are considered for the Aztecs a placement for them to go. Army Bowl. This not the Army Bowl. Sorry. Armed Forces Bowl. Not on the list. So that's kind of interesting. It is a little bit interesting. And I know that there are some Aztecs fans out there who aren't terribly happy with the matchup. But I think 
you know, you have an opportunity this weekend to watch what I think is going to be a very good Army-Navy game, first of all. And, you know, Army's got a chance to do something they haven't done in a generation, and they were going to do it on the back of, you know, as you mentioned, hey, the triple option oh, offense. Oh, no, no, you shouldn't say the back. You should say the legs. Come on, get it right. On, on the legs. <laughs> well, I mean, you got to have a strong back, too. I guess so, yeah. I guess you got to have that pitch arm, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's you know, when they get there, it's going to be a really interesting challenge. And I think it's something that as, as an Aztecs fan, you can be encouraged by because they've already dealt with it once this year in the rain in Colorado Springs and really surviving air force. What's really interesting is I'm, I, I like looking at the, uh, the percentiles over on football study hall yeah. twice this year, their offensive percentile is null army. And that is, and that is because they've won two games this year without completing a single pass. Heroes, I call them heroes who do that. So, but but even beyond that, though, like they they've had some pretty high highs. You know, they finished they 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 took North Texas basically to the brink in their you know finale last week, and you know they beat up pretty well on UTEP and Rice. So I think what you can take away from those things is like they've been able to move the ball pretty well I guess what you would call against soft defenses yeah but San Diego State is not a soft defense and so it's going to be a really interesting challenge for Army to try to figure out how to create you know how to move the chains because you know they don't quite have the explosive element in the passing game that the Falcons have had off and on this year but you better believe they're still among one of the most efficient teams in the country. We talked about you know Central Michigan being explosive but not efficient. This is the exact opposite. They're third in success rate, second by rushing success rate, and 123rd in explosiveness. So basically, if San Diego State can find ways to win up front, and if they can play disciplined football, especially among their linebackers, it should. I mean, I don't want to say it's going to be an easy win. But I kind of expect that the three through five is going to be a really good matchup for this, you know, for the speed that the Aztecs have, both among their linebackers and among the people in their secondary. It should be, and then, but like while they are so good running the ball, Army is they don't throw with Ahmad, Ahmad Bradshaw. This is a uh, not. Did, did Air Force have two thousand yard rushers this year? Uh, they did not. Okay, I'm trying to compare it here, but basically it's all or nothing for Bradshaw. He's had fourteen hundred yards. Everybody else has about about 500 yards, the next two backs combined for not even 1,000 yards, which is still good. I mean, only, but this is more of an offense, unlike Air Force, which I think they spread out a little bit more. Bradshaw's 1,400 yards, 8 yards of clips, and we saw him play versus Air Force, what he did. Very good. Moving the ball and getting big play, especially oh, it started long. I'll just get a 20-yard first down or something like that, it seemed like, with that big 8-yard average uh, per run. But they don't have like they don't really have a second guy. Like yeah, you have like Kel Walker, seven and a half yards per carry, really good, five hundred fifty yards. Like they don't have a guy. They want to give it to Bradshaw. He's tr- almost tripled the amount of carries from the second and third string guy or second and third leading rusher. It's one hundred eighty nine to seventy six. So that's something too. If they can make him, if they can have Bradshaw get rid of the ball, that's something Aztecs would want to do because they'd rather have another guy beat you. Bradshaw get his probably get a hundred yards anyways. You'd think most likely or close to it. Let us, they'd rather have Davidson or Walker get those big yardage instead, and don't let Bradshaw beat them. They, I think they'd rather take that risk. Okay, so if you want to compare what Air Force has done this year to what Army has done this year, 
You can start with the quarterback position because Arian Worthman, to date, you know, has two more running touchdowns than Ahmad Bradshaw. Hmm. But he only has 935 rushing yards to Bradshaw's 1472. His yards per carry is, you know, three yards less than Bradshaw's own. It's up 7.8 to 4.6. Tim McVeigh, for instance, you know, we've talked about him a lot. 131 carries, 744 yards, seven touchdowns. That I think is roughly equivalent to what Air Force, excuse me, Army's number two guy Darnell Wolfolk has been able to do this year. 668 yards, 11 touchdowns. To me, you know, you're talking about efficiency. You have to look at the yards per carry. And among the six guys the Army has in the backfield, you know, only one of them has averaged less than five yards a carry. All of them average you know or rather four of them average over five and a half two of them are over seven mm. and when you compare that to what air force has done basically their biggest play runner has been ronald cleveland who by the way is a wide receiver makes some good points and also they've taken much better care of the football than an air force has this year bradshaw's you know only fumbled twice only lost one of them and among the other five guys that have gotten the majority of the carries, they've only fumbled and lost it twice. So, you know, yes, San Diego State's been very good about you know winning the turnover battle more often than not, but they're going to be up against it trying to solve that problem in this matchup. All right, we'll see how it goes. So if you guys want to figure out more about Army Aztec fans, watch the Army-Navy game this Saturday on CBS just to get it. It's the only game on, so there's no excuse not to watch football because it is the only football on outside of FCS football, which is still good to check out. But watch this game. And I put a poll up on Twitter. You can still vote on it. I'm assuming at this point I put out, would you rather? Would you have a better indicate or better um, feeling about playing Army if they win? This weekend, I put yes, no, or any P5 team. And basically, it's um, yeses are about 50%. Then the rest, it's about split basically down the middle between any P5 or it doesn't matter. Basically, no. Hmm. So that's it. Check out the poll if you want. All right, next game, we got a couple more here. We are going to get to maybe an hour. So you already did a quick preview. Fresno State, Houston, Christmas Eve. Avoid your family for a couple hours. While they're wrapping, make the make your um other family member, significant other, husband, wife, whatever, spouse, cousin you're hanging out with, make them wrap presents while you watch football. Right? Yeah, or just do something nice for them early in the uh, day. So that way you don't feel bad when you abandon them for three or four yeah. hours. And if you're on the West Coast, it's 530. So if you do it just right... You could like if you're a Fresno fan specifically. If you do it just right, have a late Christmas Eve dinner. Then you can watch the whole game before, right? There you go. Because the game be yes. over. What, have a late dinner like at nine o'clock. Go for it. Mm-hmm. Why not? You're gonna stay up late with your kids. You nobody wraps presents for their kids until midnight, right? That's how it works for some families. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. So this game, ESPN again, Houston. It, we're we're gonna rank the matchups at the end as I spring that on you real quick. But this is probably one of the better matchups because Houston. They're not what they were last year, but they still have a guy named Ed Oliver. He's pretty good. He's a uh, All-American. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, <laughs> he's probably he's one probably going to be. I'm pretty sure he made the Walter Camp or FFA or FWA first team All-American eventually. All those all the fun stuff. He's gets a lot backfield. Um, who on the Fresno offensive line can slow him down? Because the Fresno offensive line, it's pretty good, more than pretty good, right? They've been like. Yeah, and I, I probably haven't said this enough. Really good, considering 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 how often I I criticized the line last year for being so terrible. This year, like we kind of know their strengths and their weaknesses. Like they don't really create that many big plays on the ground, 
but they don't give up sacks and you know they never get pushed backwards and i made the argument in the in the article i wrote a couple days ago which you're more than welcome to go check out mwwire.com you know they've it's not as though they haven't faced pretty good defensive tackles this year like they they had to go up against Johanna Guyfan from Wyoming they had to go up against David Moa twice they had to go up against VD Vea up in Washington and they had to tangle with you know Alabama's defensive line but they still probably haven't faced anyone like Ed Oliver like that guy is insanely good like I I was looking for highlights to kind of just stress like how absurd his talents are and I found this play, which you'll you'll see it in the article if you look at it, where you know Navy's trying to rally in in Houston's finale from last weekend, and Oliver from I think he's playing the defense he's playing like the defensive tackle position. He basically goes around two Navy offensive linemen and brings the quarterback down for a sack. It's insane, and. You know, he's the kind of guy that, you know, no matter what Fresno State wants to do, they're going to have to figure out how to double team him, maybe even triple team him, because he's that kind of talent. And while the numbers don't necessarily jump off the page like they did a year ago, you know, he only, he only had 14 and a half tackles, but he still managed to get five and a half sacks from the interior. And when you consider that Fresno, you know, they've been good, but not great running the football this year. You know, all of a sudden, if, if you're running into a guy who maybe you, he really can push this offense backwards, you know, that's something we haven't really seen a lot of this year. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how big of a factor or how big of a mess he can create on the interior. It'll be, yeah, that's the main thing because looking to what Houston's had some bad injury look. I, I'll bounce around. We'll get back to Oliver, but he's probably, he's their key reason they're probably going to him because. Offense hasn't been very good. They've had injuries and replacing guys. I guess they're going to – because they have Kyle Allen there. Was it former Texas A&M quarterback? He's either hurt or not planning to look in that further. But they've been going with – No, he – So I, I forget what happened to him. I haven't, I haven't looked too deep. I should have read your article. Go ahead. Basically, basically, Allen started the year as the, as the quarterback. Correct. The I know that much. You know, played pretty well if you just look at the numbers. You know, 76% completions, 751 yards, you know. But he had six turnovers in, in basically two and a half games, and so they they ended up benching him for Kyle Pospa in their loss against Texas Tech. Pospa took over, started I believe the next six games, and you know he was you know okay in some respects. Like he he did or he does at the moment currently own the best sack rate of any of the three quarterbacks that have played this year. But he only had five touchdowns against six interceptions. So while he was completing passes, you know, the, the offense was also at its least explosive. So then entered Derek King, who took over midway through the, the win that they eventually South Florida against South Florida. He's been the starter for basically the last month. And so when you look at what the offense has done, a lot of that has to do with the guy with with King now that he's under center because he's been, I think overall, probably their best guy this year. You know, his completion rates right around 70%. He's been able to create by far the most big plays out of all three of those guys. And unlike Allen and Postma, he's basically been kind of Greg Ward esque on the ground as well. Um, yeah. Well, he has 14, t- he was, 14 right around, total touchdowns. 
Yeah, and after sacks, he's averaging about six and a half yards per carry. So, and, and eight rushing touchdowns on the ground. Mm-hmm. So, if you consider kind of what McMarion's been able to bring with his legs, you know, kind of judiciously, you know, breaking off big plays with his with his legs, King's kind of been the same for about the past month. Yeah, it's also also worth noting he was a receiver before he was a quarterback. Okay, real quick, um, I want to mention a couple of awards that came down. You're okay. you're correct. Oregon State wide receiver won the Blitnikoff Award. I got an alert on my phone just now. And the reason I bring this up is again because you have that. It was James Washington. Do you want to know who won the um, Doak Walker Award? Spoiler: It's not Donald Pumphrey. Um, I mean, um, excuse me, it wasn't him. But <laughs> it also wasn't Pumphrey. It wasn't Richard Penny. Excuse me. It's our favorite running back on the West Coast, not named Richard Penny. Is he our favorite running back on the West Coast? Not received, not named Richard. That's a generic term of saying Bryce Love won the award. Who? I, who, uh, what, who okay, out of the three, he's the most deserving. <laughs> okay, sure, <laughs> <laughs> but he shouldn't be it. Uh... Okay, I wanted to bring it up. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah. So Houston, real quick, the, uh, the other running game outside of him, if with King, you gotta like do to Catalan. Mobile car. Their running, their offense has been better. It seems like with King, but I'll need to do a bit more research. But their offense doesn't seem overly great, and so I'm thinking Fresno's. Well, I think what you can lean on is like, and it's going to be a really interesting challenge. You know, you've got Fresno State secondary, which has been very good this year, but they're not really going to have just one guy to focus on the same way that they did, for instance, in the last two weeks against Boise State, because they've got like three guys I think who can who can who can hurt you. You know, you got Steven Dunbar, for instance, who has more third down catches than anybody in the country. And he's averaging 13 yards a catch. He's basically their number one guy. It's either him or it's Linnell Bonner, who, you know, leads the team in catches, 73 catches, 861 yards, right around 12 yards a catch. And both of those guys have a way better catch rate than than anybody on Fresno State's side of the ball. I think Keyshawn Johnson, for instance, his catch rate is only at about 59% right now. And then you have a sophomore like Courtney Lark, who he's basically been their big play threat on like the you know small sample caveat supply. But he's he only has 205 yards on the year, but he's averaging well over 20 yards a catch. All right, so the final game we're talking about really quick, as I mentioned really quick, again, we are going to make it an hour because we're awesome. The Mexico State, New Mexico State versus Utah State, CBS Sports Network, Friday, December 29th. So I don't know if people have that day off just because it's New Year's is on a Sunday night, New Year's Eve. But um, it's the first time. These two teams played each other before back in 19. Was it 67 they said that? If I remember correctly, somebody mentioned, I think it was somebody from Utah State football, the last time New Mexico State made a bowl game, it was against Utah State. And and the next completion that Utah State has in a bowl game, or that that they'll have in a New Mexico State bowl game, will be their first. All right, then. There's that. There's like there's one of those little odd quirks that I think is just like really Also, cool. really quick, the line in this game, I think it's changed quite a bit. Do you know the current line? What do you think the line is? I mean, if I had to guess, I would say maybe Utah State by four and a half. As as you mentioned that, ESPN has it incorrectly. 
because if you're on the homepage of ESPN, like not the homepage, but it's actually well, – well, I'll go through my process here. I'm looking at the schedule like the, on the ESPN scoreboard page. It says New Mexico State minus 3.5. I'm like, that can't be right. But if you go to Pick Center, it says Utah State by 4. Do we have a third source huh. to verify this? Uh, I do not. Off the top Does Odd Shark? I'll check up Odd Shark if they have a, a thing here on that because they usually are pretty good. Nothing on Vegas Insider yet. So this game, Utah State was. Some people thought they might be left out, which I don't think that would have been the case just because the, how hard they're pushing San Diego State to find another bowl, another bowl game. They wouldn't have looked that hard if there wasn't a guarantee the Arizona Bowl is going to take Utah State because I think that was a pretty safe choice. New Mexico State from the Sun Belt. They are not going to be in the Sun Belt next year. They're going to be an independent. Uh, just real quick, I verified again. I don't know why that front page is wrong, but it, everything has Utah State by three or four points. So there you go. But what New, Me- New Mexico State does, is doing during the Sun Belt, they didn't get voted in. If you listen real quick, if you listen to our basketball show recently, me and Eli talk about a little bit of hoop expansion just because there's some stuff going on out in the whack in Big West. And we kind of mentioned maybe New Mexico State as a small possibility. We're just kind of rambling, going off different things, but you never know. But I don't know. What do you think? I'm best bet, betting, not besting, betting, I should say. Use the right word there. This stadium, not that it'll be full, but it'll be at least 80% Utah, or excuse me, New Mexico State Aggie fans. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at something that hasn't happened in over 50 years. I kind of think, yeah. Especially when you're considering kind of the big unknowns of being an independent. Like, when are you going to get this chance again? Exactly. And really quick, it's only a four, four-hour drive on I-10. It's a direct, no. direct shot west on I-10 from Las Cruces to Tucson. Hmm. So that's a – expect a lot of New Mexico State Aggie fans there. But that's for the Aggies this season, the New Mexico State version. They're 6-6. Six and six. They had to win their final game versus South Alabama. They did beat Idaho, who's going down to FCS. They've been a team where, like, they haven't really beat anybody good. Like, they they played Arizona State close week one, and they beat New Mexico, if you recall that, where there was that huge comeback when the Lobos went back and forth. When we really shot the Lobos early on, we thought that might be a thing. Mm-hmm. But they haven't really, like, that's their best win, beating New Mexico. They beat Georgia Southern, Texas State, Idaho. Maybe South Alabama could be a decent win. Are they going bowling? 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 Oh, nope, 4 and 8. But. Anytime they played anybody decent, they've lost. Like Arkansas, they lost big time. App State, they lost. Arkansas State, they lost. Louisiana, they lost too. Yeah, they scored a lot of points. You get my drift. Arizona State, they played close. People are thinking, oh, maybe these Aggies are going to be something special when they nearly beat ASU. Sorry, that wasn't the case. Here's the thing, though. They have a guy, Tyler Rogers. He's pretty good. Well, and it, I mean, if you look at the actual results, though, maybe they've been a little bit charmed because they did lose one score games to both Arizona and Troy back in September. Mm-hmm. But they won, you know, games by a touchdown or less against New Mexico, you know, South Alabama, you mentioned Idaho. Um, they're winning. And Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern. USA. Yeah. Every victory was what? Except for Texas State in Utah. <laughs> yeah. So they've had a, a lot of close calls this year, but. You know, credit to them for you know having the good fortune to you know come out on the right side of those things. But what you mentioned about Rogers is, yeah, I mean he's pretty good, but you know one of the things that has been kind of the big issue for New Mexico State this year is they've kind of lived and died with that passing game. You know, he's he's Rogers has thrown the ball over five hundred times and he has sixteen interceptions, which is not great 
And I mean, in the in the six games that that the Aggies have lost this year, you know, his numbers are roughly the same. The big difference has been those interceptions. In 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 the wins, he's fourteen and five touchdown to interceptions. In the losses, he's only twelve against eleven. So while he's been a little bit better down the stretch, because in the last three games he's you know six and one as far as touchdowns and interceptions. But if he can prevent, say, Jalen Davis, for instance, from having himself another big game, you know, this is the kind of offense where when it's all clicking, it can give this Utah State defense fits. But, you know, if the Aggies, if, if the Mountain West Aggies, rather, can figure <laughs> out how to be opportunistic. Aggie Bowl. Yeah. Aggie Bowl. <laughs> if they could figure out how to be opportunistic, you know, this is the this is easily the kind of game that could go sideways very quickly for New Mexico State. A couple things. you know who the MVP of this uh, New Mexico State football team is? I do not. It is on the training staff who needs to ice Roger's shoulders after every game. <laughs> 50, <laughs> 57 pass, like 57, 57, 45, 50, 51, 61 for South Alabama. He threw, you mentioned he threw 512 times. He did not play in the Idaho victory. He throws like 40 times a game. This is like Luke Falk numbers almost. Mike Leach, Cliff Kingsbury quarterback. And, but he does go like, you're, you're right, they live or die by the passing game. So if Jalen Davis gets in there, because if if Rodgers does something, like you mentioned, the 16 picks, if it's like a BYU game, pick city, short fields, Jordan Love's been a little bit better at quarterback of late since they've kind of shifted to him like 90% of the time. Maybe Lawan Hunt will get a good go running the game, running game, excuse me. Uh, Tarver will get something going on some of those guys in the passing game I just think it's going to come down to really pass offense versus pass defense for the most part I'm thinking yeah and I mean for for Utah State's offense you know one of the things that they're going to have to contend with with which, which they haven't really done down the stretch and I mentioned it very briefly last time is the fact that New Mexico State knows how to generate a pass rush and if you look especially at their linebackers compared to Utah State's linebackers I've talked about havoc rate in the past, which is basically anytime somebody does like a you know tackle for loss, pass breakup, you know, force fumble, and so on. If you look at the percentage of havoc plays for New Mexico State versus Utah State, you know the the Utah State linebackers are only ranked 92nd in the country. New Mexico's are ranked 22nd. And they've got, you know, three or four guys who have shown an ability to get in the backfield and disrupt not only the passing game, but the running game, too. Like Dalton Harrington, for instance, you know, five and a half sacks, 15 tackles for loss. Terrell Hanks, six sacks, 13 tackles for loss. They've even got, you know, a, a defensive back, Malik Demby, who he has five and a half sacks and 10 tackles for loss. So. They're not going to be afraid, I think, to throw the house at Utah State, considering, you know, if this is all they have to look forward to, you know, face, facing independence, facing the unknown and things like that. The great abyss. Yeah, they're going to, Utah State's going to have to be ready for the kitchen sink in this one. Yeah, you think so, because they're, because who knows how long they'll be an independent, because that's a tough sledding. Mm-hmm. But, it, and again, again, it, it's hard to, underestimate this is the first time they've been in the bowl game in 50 plus years yes and so it'll be interesting what they do how well they'll play they'll be hyped they'll want to get after it they'll want to play well and 
this could be this could be an underrated matchup because Utah State's defense. Utah State's been in some wild games this year, like when they played UNLV and Air Force. Those are some kind of crazy games, and so their their Aggies have been known to come from behind or blow a big lead. So do not tune away when you're watching this game. We'll get into more of this next week, or I guess a couple weeks around Christmas time when we start doing our game preview. So I think we're done. Anything else we need to add? Any news we missed during the show? Not that I'm aware of. One last thing I'll throw Wait, out there. Which, Jeff they... Tedford won an award, didn't he? We didn't mention that. Like regional AFCA coach or something. Wasn't that it? Oh, did he win the national award, though? I, I, is that announced tonight? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Go ahead with your thing. I will look real quick and see if I can find something before we're done. So unless I'm mistaken, football study hall has every single one of these games being within like four points of one another. Ooh. Where is that on football study hall or football outsiders? You said no football study hall. Okay, I know they're kind of the same thing a little bit. So if you go and check out the team profiles, they have been updated with the bowl matchups. I just like that was one thing I noticed when we were going through it is that they expect all of these games to be very close, and if that's the case, you basically got appointment viewing for the next couple weeks. Okay, now that we mentioned that, because you brought me back to my original thought earlier in the show. If you're going to rank these bowl games, what bowl games, how would you rank them really quick? Oof. Okay. Um, I might be somewhat biased, but I think Fresno State-Houston is going to be a really fun defensive matchup. Are we even allowed to use that word anymore? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm okay. allowing it. Um, so I would probably put that one first. I would probably put San Diego State Army second. Um, mm-hmm. I agree. Both those, I'd agree. That's a, those are those would be my one or two options. I'm not sure at the moment, but those probably have the chance to be the most exciting games. And then I think from there it's kind of tough because I think it kind of depends on on your aesthetic. Because um, to me, I think Boise State Oregon is going to be really interesting for all the off field intrigue going on. So I would probably put that third. Yep. Um, what am I Same with Marshall CSU, same thing, because they don't have their OC and those and their cornerbacks coach as well as going to Tennessee. I think that and has the biggest potential to be, like, first to 40. I'm going to apologize to Wyoming fans, but they're last on my list here. Yeah. I mean, I, I – I, yeah. And then I guess that leaves Aggies – the Aggie Bowl at number five. A close five, though. Yeah. I mean, I think they're all going to be really interesting games in their own right because I think that – there's a lot of strength on strength matchups that you don't often get to see a lot of. And so it's going to be really fascinating to see how those play out. Excellent. That's our show for tonight, folks. So this is your uh, hour mini preview, I guess you will say for these games. Uh, Check us out. MWR.com. We'll have a bunch of articles up draft stuff's coming down the pipeline. We'll do some, Hey, the newsletter's back. I'm actually doing the newsletter at least three days a week. I won't say five days a week. I'll say at least three days a week. (laughs) Very nice. So you you know what? What I did notice when I, when I logged into the good old MailChimp the other day, we had about 50 f- subscribers about a month ago and I've been busy and haven't done it. We're up to 80 now. So oh, thank nice. you. I appreciate those who signed up and never got anything forever. You can blame me. That's my mm-hmm. fault. But look look for stuff in your inbox going forward now. Your, so patient, I apologize. your patience has been rewarded. Exactly. It'll be, and it's on the website as well. But if you, I know inbox is easier, but the same stuff mostly will be on the website, that same article. It's basically like, hey, there's All-American lists. I may not make an article on it, but it'll be in the newsletter for you guys to kind of peruse over. There might be a video. There might be something else. And if you um, are really nice and like us, um, buy your bowl tickets at SeatGeek.com. That'd be helpful. We'll have a link in the uh, podcast notes or newsletter. So, 
hey, if you're going, if you're a Utah State fan, going to that bowl game, do it. Going to Vegas, help us out, right? We appreciate mm-hmm. it. So we don't have a fancy code, but if you check the notes, you can click on a link and go do that. But that's our show for tonight. We'll be back. Uh, we'll just say sometime next week. That because sounds, we ne- that sounds appropriately vague. We ne- we never go away, do we? It does. No. <laughs> appropriately vague. Come on. You're, okay. You're never getting rid of us at this point. How about this? We normally podcast our previews on Wednesday. We will have a preview podcast next week. There will be probably probably be two separate ones. A fiesta or jeez, oh, I could say fiesta bowl. That'd be awesome, but no. Vegas bowl preview and a New Mexico bowl preview next Wednesday. So look for those, and we'll probably put these uh, previews up about two or three days before each game, and a preview a couple days after. So look for something next week. But also, hey, check us on Twitter, MWC Wire. Stay updated. But if you subscribe, you'll never have to worry about it. Blog Talk Radio, tune in. Stitcher now. Um, anywhere you get your podcast, tune in. That's what we got. And, uh, yeah, I guess I guess I have to find a new ending here, Matt. But in the meantime, I'll just say see you next time, folks. <laughs>